Everybody, I'm Rima. And I'm Sean. And this is Strange Indeed, a podcast dedicated to the show Haunting of Hill House. Today we'll be covering the second episode from Netflix TV series The Haunting of Hill House titled Open Casket. And if you hear my oh, voice is oh. a little grovelly, it's because I was screaming <laughs> like a little girl through this whole episode. <laughs> I know. That's what I love about this show. I don't know if I said it um, our last podcast when we did the first episode, but what really makes this show really great, and I think why I love it so much, it's not just a scary show. I mean, it mm. is. I mean, it scares the shit out of me, no doubt. But it it's so emotional. Yeah, this, this episode for sure is like, if you took out all the scary stuff, like this episode in itself, like... Mm-hmm. Be, it almost brought me to tears multiple times mm-hmm. because and but it was the scary stuff that kind of like hey gotcha don't don't cry because we're gonna you know make you pee your pants from being scared in a moment <laughs> I know I don't know how many times I can say I've ever like had tears in my eyes and then get scared about something and ju- <laughs> you know get jump scared and be like ah, you gotta like fight that? the tears the out of your eyes like oh god is something behind me I know it's like, oh, so many emotions happening here. But yeah, so good. And I'm so excited to talk about this one because this one was um, pretty heavy. We're certainly getting into some more deep stuff. So with that, let's kick off our top five. Sean, why don't you kick us off this week? What's your number five? All righty. So my number five, I don't know if this was intentional or if it, if you know, it kind of ties into a bunch of things, but it's really the six years ago event. So we find out that the family goes to put Luke in rehab. Mm-hmm. And in the conversation, they're sitting there, and it's Sh- uh, Shirley and Steven sitting there, and they have their checkbooks out. And, I'd, and they, they were talking about insurance, and like I was kind of confused at first. Like I was thinking, okay, this is probably Luke, or maybe it's their dad, because I guess I didn't realize that rehab was covered under insurance, which from this conversation sounds like it is. Right, or at least maybe his covered it anyway. Yeah, I thought like maybe it was like because um, I know you can get when you get older you can get um, nursing home insurance. So like if you if you mm-hmm. have to get put in a nursing home, there's like a you've had insurance for years that'll help cover it. So I thought yep. maybe it was their dad, um, but then you know we find out no, it was Luke, and it was interesting because as they're sitting there, it's like okay, this is six years ago, and then the lady says, okay, well that's going to be six thousand dollars a month, mm-hmm. and then she says we would like a six month advance. <laughs> <laughs> and when you put those numbers together, Rima, what do you get? No, Sean, you know, you promised me you wouldn't make me do math ever on this podcast. Well, no, um, you get six, it's a lot of money. No, no, you get six, six, six. <laughs> oh, six, I didn't think about that. Yeah, I was, I thought you were going to make me do math. No, six months, $6,000 and they want six months. And it was just kind of like the, the oh, number six always bounces out to me for some reason. And that's when, really good. And again, God, that was right over my head. Don't know if that was actually like intentional to be like, oh my gosh, like there's this evil presence over this, or if it was just kind yeah. of like random. It seems too like random, I think, to really be like, because like why, why six years ago? Why, why six thousand a month? Like why the six month contract thing makes sense, but mm-hmm. uh, it was just interesting too here because he had the lapsed insurance. You know, he goes in there and they're they're talking about doing all this stuff for for this brother, and it's it's kind of one of those things like they're all like behind him a hundred percent. You know, mm-hmm. they're hugging him like, you're, you can do this. He's going to do this. And then you fell, flash forward, not even six years later, it was at, at their sister's wedding. 
Yeah. And it was kind of the point where it's like, listen, you're a fuck up. I've spent way too much money on you. Just fuck off is basically yeah. what they're saying. And it's kind of sad in a sense because, you know, it's like that is still your family member. But at mm-hmm. some point it's like, okay, if you're not going to help yourself, how can I help you? And that seems like the boat that they're in with him at this moment. <laughs> yeah. I think that we got a sense of that in the first episode, too, because um, he's stealing Stephen's mm-hmm. um, iPad and really nice camera. And he's just like, you know, dude, it's fine. Take the camera and get what you can out of it. But I have to have the iPad. Let me just give you some money. It, it felt like this wasn't his first. I don't know if he had stolen from him before, but it just seemed like Stephen had been through the situation before. And he was just kind of like, you know, I love you. I'm going to help you, but I don't want to be really around you. You're just because you won't help yourself. Surely kind of the same thing. You could tell by the time you could see the change that happened from the time that Luke was in rehab and how much she was willing to help him. Um, And then from, and I don't know how much time it was from that, that, time frame when they were um he was going into rehab from the time it was Nell's wedding. I don't know how much time had passed. Um but clearly she had been fed up. She was very angry at him, you know, not allowing him to be there, trying to push him away and trying to force, you know, give him money and say just go away, just go get your drugs and just go away. And so what happened it, it just makes you you know wonder how in how much he's been in and out of rehab, how much they've tried yeah. to help him and he won't accept the help. He can't get help or he won't help himself. Um, and it's tough because he is an addict and I know that could be a very difficult situation. I've never had to personally deal with it that deeply. You know, I've had people affected by it, but personally I haven't. So I I won't try to say that I truly understand, you know, what, what happens, but I can understand those emotions. Um, so yeah, it was just really interesting, um, how that changed, you know, how that, how they were all there supporting him, and then how that kind of changed later. They're, they still support him and love him. Like you said, he's a family member, but they were all at the same time just kind of fed up. And they're like, mm-hmm. and then even Theo in the first episode, just kind of like, you know, she loves him, but she kind of keeps him at a distance. Yeah. Well, I mean, you have people in your lives that you probably have like that. You want to keep it arm's distance because, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, they're great to have around the Christmas party. But, you know, shortly after the Christmas party, they're probably going to be asking for money or they're going to be yep. like, hey, I kind of need some help here. You know, this and he said it. Um, at least to Steven, he's like, it's not, it's not for what you think. So I, you know, again, like me being hopeful, it's like, well, I hope he's, he's using this money for something other than drugs. But again, this seems like a, a, a thing he's done for years is where it's like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm here, I'm not high. It's like, you've been gone for three days from rehab. Like, who do you think they call when you don't show up? It's me. Uh-huh. And I can tell you're high right now. And he looked like shit too at that wedding. Yeah, he did. I've never, I've never been around a lot of drug use in my life. Um, I've never really been around around somebody that's had a lot of issues like that. But I mean, he looked near death. I mean, he just, yeah, scary. Good makeup job. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, But again, I just kind of go back like he's fighting a really tough demon at this point, a personal demon. And I kind of go back to those three numbers being picked out when you put them together. It's always kind of you know the mark of the beast. You know, it's always kind of followed by evilness or you know Mm -hmm. some kind of bad stuff and. Again, I don't know if it was just random. Maybe it just – but again, I don't think that's the case with this show because there's been – in the first episode, you know, I'm like – I felt like I saw something behind Steven when he was a kid in his room. Like, that's just me playing, you know, tricks on myself. And there's been other Mm -hmm. spots where it's like, wow, that looks kind of weird in that mirror. That looks kind of weird on the clock. Or, oh, my God, it looks like people are behind the staircases. And, 
you know, you, yep. you kind of start doing analysis by or paralysis by analysis because now you're looking all over the place looking for these things now that we know they're hidden. So, mm-hmm. so to me, I feel like if, if they've already got these things hidden in the series, those three numbers were probably chosen for a specific reason. I and I love that. That was that totally went over my head. And I don't know if it was on purpose or not. I didn't read anything in this episode about it. But I mean, it doesn't mean that they're going to reveal everything either. Like, oh, here's yeah. everything that you know we put in the you know first or in the season that you guys missed or didn't pick up on. I mean, they they like to have fun with it, and and it's kind of fun to to still you know question it. Like, ooh, did they mean it or did they not? Oh yeah. So I, I love that um, that you picked up on that. If you want to, like, I, I was. <clears throat> After the first episode, knowing that there was some hidden ghost, I tried to find some good videos that showed hidden ghosts in episode two. Uh-huh. And it's really interesting. You find the right ones, and they like they're like circling everything. It's like uh-huh. Sasquatch, Loch Ness monster stuff. It's like, well, this looks like a <laughs> face here. You know, these leaves look like a face. Like this looks like a face. Like this looks like a foot. This might be a penis. We're not sure. Ghost penis. <laughs> da da da. It's a succubus, <laughs> or what's the, what's the male succubus? The succubus um, is the female. Succubus what's is the, the female. Male? Um, poltergeist. Or is I it think. The- I think poltergeist is the male violent ghost. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I like. Yeah, it's it's true. I think it's better. It's always fun to to look for the hidden ghosts, but I I feel like you should probably do it um, on your second or third watch. You know, um, I know lots of people yeah. have you know gone gone back to watch it, and that's a good time because I think if it's your first watch, then you're so busy looking for things that are hidden or concealed or something that you kind of miss out on the story. Mm-hmm. Um, so I tr- I try to do that on my second or third watch whenever because sometimes I am able to catch this on a third time so it's fun to do that as you're kind of watching you know most of what's happening in the scene you know the dialogue already so it's fun to scan the background (laughs) looking for that stuff and to see what's intentional and what's not but yeah you don't want to get caught up in it same with um looking for like those numbers but i love that you pointed that out i that totally went over my head i was so caught up in the moment i like it good number five good pickup well, my number five is we're going to kind of focus on Shirley for a moment. So the first episode centered around Stephen. This one centered around Shirley. So I guess that's a pretty good indication that that's probably where the rest of the episodes are going to go. And I like how we get like we're getting that individual perspective um, and how that person, that particular sibling that we're focusing on um, how they, how what happened to them as children affected them and how it made them what they are today. Because mm-hmm. uh, you can really see how what happened to Shirley as a child made her what she is. So we get to see how the traumas that she had in her life shaped her to be what she is today, which is an undertaker that fixes things. She's big on fixing things. And to her, death is a job. And, you know... I think people don't get enough credit for, for doing that type of a job. It's, it is really important. Um, but she's so sterilized from death, in my opinion, that she's able to fix her sister, yeah, her she, own sister. <laughs> that's uh, to be like, you know, chest deep into your sister while, you know, pulling out her organs uh-huh. from a bag while talking to your brother on the phone. Uh-huh. You know, that was like one of the most like, you know, and she, she lets her emotions come out a little bit where she's like, you know, listen here, you know, Stephen, like I've, I'm pulling these bags of organs of my sister out of her chest. You have mm-hmm. to get two fucking grown men to the airport. Do your, just get it done. And like that yeah. was the moment she kind of like let it all out. Like, 
And it wasn't even like a, a huge like expression of anger. Like it was enough to know she was pissed, but you Just weren't frustrated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But still, she's being frustrated in front of her dead sister, which is. Mm-hmm. I just like I, I wouldn't have the mental capacity to do that. Like I would be like in tears the whole time. I yeah I don't I really I wasn't quite sure how to feel about how she was able to do that. You could see it clearly; it did affect her because she when her sister was delivered um, and her I don't know her assistant or the the lady that works for her. I guess it also helps her. She's the one that had her go and and get her sister deliver her there to the funeral home. And when they they moved her from. Uh, you know, to the, to the table. And then she left her alone. She unzips the bag and she doesn't look yet. She's doing all of this while looking away. So she unzips the bag and she folds it away and she's looking away and you can tell she is like stealing herself, like, you know, like trying to breathe and try to prepare herself for what she's about to see. She doesn't know. She knows that Nell is probably not in the greatest condition. She spelled it out earlier Mm -hmm. when she said, you know, she's, she was in that house for hours. She was only refrigerated, you know, a short amount of time, blood pool, her injuries and just everything else, you know, that occurred. She knew it wasn't going to be great. And that's why she decided for herself to do this, that she's like, um, you know, in the time it takes me to tell you what to do, I could just do it myself. And I think that she just wants to know that her sister is, I think, kind of cared for in only the way that she can care for her. Um, so I, I can kind of appreciate that, that she takes that on as her responsibility, that that's my sister. I'm the big sister. I'm supposed to be taking care of my siblings. Now she's not the oldest, Stephen is the oldest, but she's the oldest sister in the family. And she kind of did, I think, take over, you know, that motherly role because we saw in flash flashbacks after they lost their mom, how Shirley kind of became the mother of, of the siblings, how she was uh, helping Luke, um, you know, with the rehab thing, she was helping Nellie at her, at her wedding and made Luke disappear from the wedding. So Nellie could have a good day. She wanted it to be perfect and to be all about her and not have Luke there to, you know, screw something up. Um, paying for Luke's rehab when he needed it. So she kind of became that mom. And I think that was kind of the role she was taking on here as well. was like, you know, this is my job. I was supposed to care for her in life. I failed. I'm going to care for her in death. Well, that goes kind of how I saw it. goes to her of like fixing things. Like she's trying to make sure this family Mm -hmm. stays fixed, even though it's Mm -hmm. still very much broken. Yeah. And I think she wants to, and when you see Nell, you know, yeah, she looks pretty bad and it had to be, I can't imagine seeing a loved one in that condition, you know, and having to, to bear, you know, what it is you're going to, you're going to have to get ready and do for them. Um, but I, you know, I just, I, I can kind of appreciate where she was with that and how she felt she had to be the one to do it and how she wanted to fix her, um, and, and have that picture in her mind of, not how she looked then, but how she looked before she died. Mm-hmm. And um, so I can I can kind of see that. But it, I just thought, man, oh, man, I don't even know. And I feel like Shirley is so tightly wound. She's been trying to hold the t- uh, family together for so long that I think she's going to crack. I mean, yeah. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> no, I agree. I, um, it's, I, I feel like she's the, the, the rock that keeps that family together. I mean, she, if it wasn't for her, you know, it's hard mm-hmm. to tell what would happen. Um, she has a great line when she does pay for Luke's uh, rehab. She tells Steven, it's like, hey, listen, when you're a big famous author, you can pay me back. Yeah. And in the same episode at the wedding, you know, you can tell she's the, the book's already been published about the family. And she kind of, you know, gives a little sarcastic 
mentioned to her sister when she's doing the makeup when Stephen leaves the room. It's like, oh, you must feel great that you got a world famous author at your wedding. <laughs> um, so in in this episode, she used that as a good and a bad, which uh, again just is kind of telling you how how the family's going down their path. Yeah, it is. Anyway, that's my number five. What do you got for your number four? Well, my number four, we're going to stick with Shirley. And I uh, am going to go and say that she's kind of got a sixth sense to an extent. And she sees ghosts. Uh, oh, so, oh, yeah. I, okay, I'm, uh, I'm with you. So we're sitting there and you know we see uh, the guy, uh, I think with the grandma that we've seen multiple times, you know, coming in, <laughs> dropping off some jewelry. And there's a little mm-hmm. scene where there's a guy sitting on the couch having a drink, having a cocktail. He was there in one moment. He was gone the next. So it was very, very, like, I saw that and I'm like, wait, was it it didn't look like any of her brothers to me. I could be wrong, but it didn't look like any brother. Didn't look like anybody that we know of. Is that correct or am I missing something? I have not seen him (laughs) as of yet. And, and, yep, that was somewhere in here in my notes that, yeah, um, who was this hot guy? (laughs) Surely saw in the funeral parlor. I wrote man with a drink question mark. Um, Uh So, you know, should we have that interaction? Um, We saw her have, you know, multiple interactions with those kittens. And we also had the interaction at the very end of this episode. As she's getting ready to close down shop, she sees in the gurney next to her sister, (sighs) one of the Uh -uh. creepy ass things ever. And it's her mom just sitting up dead, Creepy looking, dead eyes, mm-hmm. holding the box of a kitten, and we get a little kitten meow at the end. Um, and and also like you know, I feel like that was her seeing a ghost to me in both mm-hmm. instances. And the other thing that makes me think that she has this sense of seeing ghosts is when she was on the phone with Steven, Steven kept like trying to tell her that he saw Nell. Like he kept trying to get it out, but she kept cutting him off. Like, you know, he'd be like, yada, yada, yada. She'd be like, no, no, yada, yada, no, yada, 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 no. And each time it felt like he was trying to get it out. It's like, like she's dead and I saw her like in my house. But Nell yeah. or, uh, um, Shirley did not want him to come across and say that because I think maybe she's somehow repressed that she can see these things. Mm-hmm. Something that- she's definitely in denial about what she sees. <coughs> oh yeah, whatever sure. it is that she's seeing, she she it's like she remembers things so differently than the rest of her siblings as to what happened. And we didn't really get a lot of her interactions when she was at the house. You know, mm-hmm. we saw the interact the the situation with the cat, but we didn't see her dad taking her out of the house like we did Stephen. So right. there's there's obviously something there that probably messed her up. You know, there's the red room that I think she spent a lot of time in, or not maybe a lot of time in, but she's you know, one of the first people to really look into that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we're going to find a lot with Shirley and the fact that I think she has this ability to see ghosts and, you know, maybe other members of the family will as well. But that's my number four is just Shirley can see some ghosts. I like it. Yeah, she's seeing something. And I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying it's not ghosts, but just to play devil's advocate for a minute, it could just there could just also be things um, like in her head. You know, seeing things like she's kind of imagining these things or yeah, something, especially if she's that. under so much stress right now. And um, you just lost her sister. And, uh, you know, now she's seeing her mom and whomever this, you know, fine fella in her funeral parlor is. And uh, which I don't know the character. I don't know uh, who this guy is. I don't know why she is seeing him in her funeral parlor. I do know, however, who the actor is playing him. And that made my day because when I saw him, I was like, 
God, he looks familiar. I know that face, but it's been a little while. Lo and behold, my One Tree Hill uh, other fandom folks, uh, that's Nathan Scott, um, also known as James Lafferty, is who that guy is. Did you ever watch One Tree Hill, Sean? I didn't, no. Yeah, it's okay. Well, I did late in life. Um, thanks to my my child who insisted I watch it, and I did, and I was obsessed with the Scott brothers, especially Nathan. So I love James Lafferty. He is, uh, I don't mind him on my TV screen, I'll just say that. But I don't know who his character is or anything like that. I don't know anything. Um, I just know that's who he is. Good number four. I like it. Um, so my number four is foreshadowing, and it's just kind of short and for what I have, maybe you'll have more and I'd be interested to hear it. And you talked about the kittens. So Shirley found these kittens and how many kittens were there? There were five. Mm -hmm. It was a little reminiscent of Game of Thrones. Did you get that a little bit? Very much got a Game of Thrones (laughs) vibe too, yeah. I was waiting for one of them to find out that they're a bastard. I know. I'm thinking, oh, hold off, Jon Snow. Um, Getting all crazy with this. Oh, five kittens and there's five of us. Um, And then, but the foreshadowing part that gave me chills after I, I didn't make the connection to the second watch. And because I was kind of freaked out during this whole thing with the kittens, um, Nell points to the youngest kitten, kitten and said, that one's me. Yeah. I got the vibe of that too. Yeah. Yeah, and then what happened to that little kitten? Yeah, it's the first and then, one to go. And then what happened to Nell? She was the first sibling. Well, I say first sibling. I don't know anything. She was um, the sibling, or anyway, um, out of out of that sibling group uh, to die. So that that kind of was like, ah, that's creepy. Um, so much creepiness surrounding the whole kitten thing. I. I that was hard to watch. I don't have cats. I, I'm an animal lover as a whole. I love all animals, but I don't own any cats. I have dogs. Um, but I know that during any time the kittens, you know, were on the scene and it was so difficult to watch, you know, them dying and the whole funeral scene when Shirley's having to bury the kitten. Um, I just went, kept like wanting to hug my dogs. I was like, yeah. I just have to pause this for a minute. I need a breather. I just need to hug my dogs <laughs> for a minute. So I don't know. What would, I'm, I'm glad that you saw the same thing. Did you have any other? I, di- I didn't come up with any others. That one just kind of stood out to me. I don't know if you had any others or if you felt the same about that. Nothing too specific. I mean, this is my number three as well as the kittens. You know, very Game of Thrones feel as well. Um, it's, you know, it seems like they're all diseased, um, mm-hmm. which again, you could say like, okay, well, is this, is this, you know, house, is this property, is it, you know, cursed to an extent? So like, because where'd yeah. the mom go? We don't know where the mom cat went. Yeah. They keep hearing these dogs, which I feel like that's tied to it somehow. Um, and again, like it's – it really definitely sets the the stage for Shirley because, you know, her mom talks about like her first uh, interaction with death is these kittens. Mm-hmm. And if like – could you imagine being, I don't know, 12 or 13, mm-hmm. having your first cat die? You have this beautiful funeral for it, very emotional, and you're kind of like getting exposed to death. And then you see it move. You're like, oh, my God, it's not dead. And then a bug crawls out of it. Oh, my gosh. Which, so traumatizing. Again, same thing happened with her sister, except she's like, yeah, fool me once. Shame on you. Fool me twice. I know that's fake. Ugh. Terrible. Terrible. Yeah, that that whole whole thing with the kittens was really creepy and talking about like you were talking about like their their 
parents and the things that they were going through. I'm curious as to why, you know, Shirley seems to be experiencing things. All the kids seem to be experiencing things. And the parents, it's like they don't hear anything. Their dad, Mm. Hugh, came into the room when Theo came into Shirley's room and... You know, it was like, why are you banging on, what do you want? Why are you banging the, you know, the wall? I mean, she's like, I've been asleep. What are you talking about? And then as they're sitting there, all of a sudden the, the, you know, the things like the paintings or the wall, there's like banging behind the wall and you can see it like moving around, you know, the wall and they start screaming. Their dad comes in and he's like, what are you guys screaming about? And they're like, didn't you hear that? And he's like, no. So it's like, you know, how much of what's happening in Hill House? I don't think I really have any doubts that this house is haunted, but I don't know, understand why the parents don't seem to hear or see the same things that the kids do. I don't know. It's a good point. I mean, they kind of showed that like when Theo was hearing those things in her room, but Shirley couldn't hear it in hers. So I think that was kind of showing you like, hey, this stuff can happen in a room and uh-huh. other people can't hear it. <clears throat> yeah. And that you- just makes you feel crazy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then they jump in their room and you have that interaction with her dad and it kind of seemed like she was dreaming because her dad kind of what the hell was that that was not that was not cool like it's gonna be uh yeah we're saying you have to be prepared (laughs) for that at any moment somebody's gonna go like dead face and open their mouth and i just i don't sleep well after i see those kinds of faces that whole thing when the eyes go blank and the that's just fucked up That's like what I look like after like a rough night of drinking. Tiffany Ross was like, hey, Sean, get up. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> oh, love it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, that's all I have for my number four. Just uh, a touch of foreshadowing and kind of sad. It was yeah. all sad. Um, didn't like it, but that's that's what we have. So, well, And that shows you – and that, that's my number three is the kittens too and that – that kind of shows you like the damage that this house has done to this family. Like something that should be beautiful. It's like if you find kittens and like something mm-hmm. happened to their mother, it's like, oh my God, we're here. We're going to save these kittens. We're going to bottle feed them. You know, they're going to grow up to be, you know, actual kittens and then cats. And we'll probably have to get rid of them because, you know, we, we don't want five cats in the house. But, you know, it's a great experience for a kid to see the life of, you know, animals growing up. Like I think it's just like I grew up on a farm kind of with my mm-hmm. grandparents always bringing in kittens and, you know, calves and stuff like that. And, yeah, sometimes you get to see the the you know terrible side of life where you know sometimes they don't survive, sometimes things happen. Uh, but mm-hmm. you get to see the beauty of it too, where they grow and they become you know mature animals and they get to go off and do their own thing. But this like Hill House is like no, you don't get you get like a day of that, and then we yeah. fuck with your head and we and they they all die. I mean they all die at once or like even like one at a time and like random things. It's like just dead. And then we kill the rest off. Like you, you, you start to feel a little bit better than the rest die. Then your mom has I to know. lie to you about the one that you thought might have been alive. I know. that Terrible. Just nothing good about any of that was happening at all. This sadness all around. Anyway. But, but yeah, my number three is just kittens too. So what do you have for your number three? <laughs> my number three. So just to kind of point out what I wanted to kind of say what we know so far about Hill House. Um, so as we get further in, and we're only in episode two, so we still have a long way to go, but we're getting like a little bit more pieces of information. So I like that. So I'm trying to, you know, kind of piece things together so I understand what the hell is happening. I need to understand. 
happened. Um, so we know that the Cranes are planning to turn the profit from flipping Hill House to build their forever house where they'll live in peace forever, right? Uh, we know that Olivia um, is an architect and she's working on the designs for this house. So we know that much. But my question now is we saw the design and it was, of course, just like those blueprint drawings that we see, you know, for homes. Um, but did you notice the model house that Shirley had in her yep. office in the funeral home? So was do you think that was the design her mom was working on earlier in the episode? That's that's my guess, because as her son runs out because he's pissed off about not getting a Daredevil costume, when he yep. bumps into it, she's like, oh, the forever house. Be careful. Yeah, so I I think some people were kind of questioning, well, is that Shirley's forever house, like for her and her family? Or to me, it's the forever house her mother was designing. That that was what I was was, thinking. Yeah, that's what I thought. I thought somehow she must have taken either either her mom had it made prior to her death or Shirley got the plans um, that her mother had and went and asked someone to have, you know, a little model, um, architectural model. Um, built for that. So, okay. So with that being said, this house we believe is the, this forever home that Olivia was drawing. Did you also notice at the end of the episode when the porch light flashed twice? Yep. Remember kids, when the flat, when the porch light flashes twice, you need to come inside. Jesus. I got <clears throat> fucking goosebumps just talking about it again. That, yeah. um, so <clears throat> do you think that's their way of, cause we know something kind of compelled Nell to go back to Hill House. Oh, and it's yeah, like, yeah. you know, is, you know, because why did she go back? Did something compel her? Why Why does she feel the need to go back? Is something calling them to the house? So it's like, is that kind of where that's at? Is the porch lights flashing twice? Or are they being called home? Yeah, I mean, it would be really interesting if you see that throughout the, each person's kind of vignette, if something mm-hmm. flashes twice to be like, oh, it's time for me to go home. yeah. But yeah, Ugh. this is my number two is actually the Forever House too, and you know it's very creepy to see that. And again, it's like, what is pushing? You know, like you know, I, I'm trying to figure out what's doing. Like, is it the mom? Is the mom trying to save him? Like, is the mom trapped in the house? Mm-hmm. Is something using the the imagery of their mother to trick all these kids in? They're coming back to the house because it's got some kind of vendetta against them because now Hill House has been shut down for twenty plus years. And it's pissed. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like again, two episodes in, like there's just so many questions that you're not going to find out. And really, if they do, you know, each uh, sibling gets their own episode after episode five, I'm curious what they're going to start doing there. Do they start back over or what's going to happen? So I'm I know. again, re- really, really intrigued to see what happens here. But, you know, I think that's, you know, it was interesting with, with the forever house because she talked about every house needs a heart. You know, and yes. our heart's the kitchen because that's where we spend most of our time. Mm-hmm. And she was talking about it in a, in a sense of like houses are a living thing. You know, mm-hmm. and, and we talk with a lot of supernatural people. They always talk about, you know, I guess like places and things holding like energy and holding like those kinds of things. Like, you know, you think about yeah. going to like prisons or, you know, places that are known to have these kind of paranormal events happen. And, you know, like like I said, she's talking like this house is a living thing. We talked about last episode, like, is Hill House alive in a sense, or is it just things living inside of it? Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just kind of interesting how, you know, we talked about that as a sense of the haunting, but the mother's talking about it in a sense of like, oh, not only is this home living, 
but we're going to create our forever home that has a heart, that has lungs, that has, you know, a vibrant, you know, existence to, to an extent. Right. Yeah. I, I'm glad, I'm glad you thought the same because that was giving me chills and it was giving me chills just even talking about it. So <laughs> bleh. I keep checking behind me too. You scared the shit out of me last week. And so I'm like making sure there's nothing behind me. Just talking about it gives me the willies. That's great. So that was your number two. Yep. That was my number two as well. So we can jump okay. right into your number two. Okay. Well, let's get into my number two. So I want to talk a little bit about the crane siblings now that we're getting a little bit more of their dynamic um, in, in this episode. So I, I really like to see, and we talked about it earlier when we were talking about Shirley and Steven, you know, and the rest of the siblings being there to support Luke. Um, so I really like that despite their fights, the crane siblings are all pretty close as adults. And to me, it's because no one understands them like they do. Like they all understand each other and no one else can understand what you're feeling and what you're going through, like your sibling that went through the same thing with you. So they all have the shared trauma of what happened at Hill House and whatever it was that happened with their mom. Uh, they all, I mean, they all seem to dislike their dad. So they really only have each other to lean on. So they consider themselves to have no parents because their mom's dead and they don't really care much for their dad. And Theo and Shirley live with each other. And I mean, seriously, after going through all of that wall banging at Hill House, it's no wonder. I mean, that shit bonds you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, you go through something like that and it's like, yeah, we're bonded because we have experienced that. And, um, no one else understands it like we do. Um, but even Kevin, Shirley's husband, I feel like he doesn't really seem to get the siblings that well. Like he doesn't fully understand. I think he tries to. I think he tries to be understanding. But even he seems kind of, you know, like, I don't really get you guys or I don't really fully understand or appreciate what it was that you went through. Um or understand their dynamics. So I really love seeing their relationship. Um, I really liked how, you know, we got to see before before Stephen wrote the book and caused some friction in the family about, you know, the fact that he was using their stories, you know, to make money and stuff and become famous. Um, you know, how it was that they still cared for I know that they still care for each other because they are siblings, but there's, you know, just that bit of animosity between them. So it was kind of nice to see that, how she was, you know, willing to foot the bill for that first 30 days for Luke's rehab. And she's, you know, telling Steve, like, she's like, cause he's like, he's just kind of fumbling. He's, you know, with this checkbook and he's kind of like, I, he's kind of just kind of you know, like, you know, he's going to say, I can't do that. I cannot yeah. do, I cannot split $6,000 <clears throat> a month with you. I don't have that money. And, and before he can even say it, she just kind of puts her hand, you know, on him. And she's just like, it's okay. It's okay. I know that, you know, and she's like, I got this. Um, so I, I really like that moment and just all their moments. And even though now after all of that, there's, you know, they all kind of are separate and doing their own things They're in friction, but they still have that love for each other. So I like that. And I look forward to seeing more of that. Yeah. I really like that. Yeah. All right. So <clears throat> that was my number two. Are so, we on, are we on our number ones? Yeah. Number one. So my number one, uh, it's kind of a theme that we had throughout this episode. And, and I think we're going to have to deal a lot with this, with this show is essentially just dealing with death. I mean, there's an emotional piece to it. And then there's kind of the, the scary paranormal that we're probably is really the, the main thing of this movie. But I think it'd be, we wouldn't be doing this show justice if we didn't kind of look at it from that aspect. And I'd basically, my number one is just life's a bitch. Mm -hmm. because, you know, first off, we're talking with this kid. 
He's seeing his grandma, but he's 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 going through a situation where he's like, I don't know, like eight or nine. Mm-hmm. And his grandmother passed away, I'm guessing from like maybe cancer or something like that, because she wore a wig and Right. <clears throat> and it's it's crazy. I mean, we're seeing two aspects of this. I mean, this is a kid that was like eight or nine. He only had like five years with a woman that was his grandma that loved him, that cared about him. And again, it just it's like death is one of those things in life that is the shittiest part of life. Mm-hmm. It's you know, I, I might think about it more than you probably should, but you know, it's one of those things like you know, you start doing the math of like family members and stuff like that, and you're like, oh my god, like you know, they're this age, and you know, when when my grandma passed away, they were this age. So like, do they only have like ten years left? Or and then you hear stories about people who die even younger. Like, oh my god, like what happens if 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 they they, they pass away too too soon and and all that, you know, you're thinking of all these things and getting emotional with it, but then like it hits you with a ton of bricks and and the moment where uh Shirley flashes back to the wedding. And I, I kind of thought about this like life gives you like all these moments and you know it's you get so you get all these moments from life and then all of a sudden you're at the end of it. It's like a day. You know, mm-hmm. you get up in the morning, like, okay, well, I gotta sludge through this day, I gotta go to work. And the day's over, and, and it seems like life's longer than that, but it's still the same aspect. Like, you know, you get in the mundane, you get to the day to day, and then mm-hmm. at the end of it all, it's like, well, I have these memories, I have these things that I'm going to hold on to. But you almost feel guilty about that because, like, as she's thinking about this wedding, it was a great time in her life. It seems like besides Luke and everything, but you know, she got this moment with her sister, mm-hmm. but now it's gone, and. You, you think about like family members and stuff. And that's where I was really thinking about like, oh my gosh, like, you know, no matter what, when you get to that end point, you're like, oh, I could just use another day. Like I could use another day with that person. Yeah. And you don't get it anymore. Um, and so it's it kind of just ties back to all that. Like, you know, I think we're going to get to deal a lot with that, especially with her being in a funeral parlor. That might be more just contained to this episode. But again, it just goes back to the fact that, you know, they're dealing with death on a daily basis. And, you know, now we're seeing a family that's in mourning over the death of a loved one. And, mm-hmm. uh, it's just, it kind of hit me a little bit harder than I would expect the show to do. Cause I'm expecting to be scared, but you, yeah. you, you take out all those scariest parts and you just put that into like a 20, 30 minute episode and I'd be bawling like a baby. Cause it's, that's the one thing in life that I just wish there was a cure for. I know we all can't live forever, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, when, when somebody's gone and, you know, you sit there and think about it. And you're like, "Oh yeah, shit, so and so is not here anymore." It just, it's just not a fun thing. I know. Well, and and I can certainly relate. I am certainly a very morbid person. I probably spend way too much time thinking about death, and you know. Uh, but I think that that you know, I mean, and especially because I've just. Re- <laughs> It's funny you bring that up because just like recently I was like reviewing, um, uh, oh, there was like enrollment for my insurance and stuff that we were, that we were doing. And so I was thinking of like all the, the benefits and things in like my 401k and things like that. And I was like, I got to make sure I've got all my information updated and make sure that my kid is like all on my papers and stuff. So when I die, it, you know, there won't be any issues It all goes to her and thinking, oh, I need to probably update my will and just all these things. And, and I'm just having this conversation with her. I'm like, oh, by the way, I did this and this and this, and here's where all my papers are. And you know, and I was like, I'm sorry, this is probably really morbid, but it's something you have to kind of think about. So I, I just, I think about it just even outside of that. I think of like death way too often, but I think the good part of that, when you think about it like that, I think it, it kind of makes you appreciate those days 
that you're having. And it makes you take those moments, even if it's not the grandest moment, it doesn't even have to be a big event, you know, as a wedding or something like that. You know, it can just be, you know, you said you guys spend a lot of time in the kitchen. That's primarily where you spend a lot of your time with your family. So that can just be a moment that you have there with your family in the kitchen. It may Mm. not be some huge event, but that's the memory that you're going to have. And you're going to make you, I think, appreciate those moments a little bit more, right? If you know, yeah, I think if you can kind of, I think a lot of times whenever there's a, a death in the family, you probably focus on it more. But again, you get stuck in your day to day, and you know, I always think like mm-hmm. we're coming up on the holiday season, and you know, I love this time of year because it it always forces families to be together. Not really forces, but it's it's the excuse to get everybody together and just hang out. Mm-hmm. I know that you probably it's like okay, well, we'll go here for Thursday and Friday, then. Well, I want to leave early because I want to get back home and you know be able to relax before I get back to work. But um, we just had a we do a friendsgiving with some friends. It's like the fifth or sixth year we've done it. Usually, it's the first like weekend of the the year, so it's really the first kickoff to it. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, and and the the guy that hosts it with his with his girlfriend, he kind of stopped and he's like, okay, you know, before we eat, I just want to say, hey, it's like the fifth year we did it, did this. You know, I just want to say, you know, we love having you guys over here. We love taking time, and getting to see you, and you know, get to interact and. You know, it's one of those things like, you know, even like I wanted to go, but it's like, okay, well, we got Jacoby there. He's kind of crabby. It's like, okay, we'll go, we'll eat, we'll go home. But in saying <laughs> that, it just gives you that like, okay, let me just take a moment, step back and be like, mm-hmm. hey, this is this is a good interaction with friends and family, um, which is something I kind of want to start doing like at ours, I think. Like when we do our Thanksgiving, just give a little bit of a kind of like, you know, thank you everybody for being here kind of thing. Because again, at some point, you know, oh, everybody's going to be gone which is so sad to say. <laughs> you're you're but, getting so so um, sorrowful here. <laughs> I know this, this shows like this is this is supposed to be scared, but um, I told you it was emotional. This, this I, show this brings out emotions. Uh, does, but yeah, I'll stop well, before I start saying other silly stuff. But no, I I think no, I think it's good because if it if it makes you more appreciative of those moments, because you know that's you have to appreciate people while they're here. Because and you don't have to be old, you know, to to die. Mm. There there are tragic events that happen every day that take people away from us, people that we love and that we care about. So it's always important to appreciate those people while you still have them, because tomorrow is not promised. Exactly. So I that's how I try to live my life. I know I, I get caught in the same as you. We all get caught up in the mm. mundane, like oh, I get up and work today, and then you do whatever you know your routine is in the evening, and you just kind of it's like you're on autopilot, and you're not taking that moment throughout the day to kind of think about your day and to try to take something. I I know for a while I was trying to pick out one thing every day that I was thankful for or grateful for or something like that. Like take that one thing, you know, no matter how small uh, or mundane that it was something that I was grateful for. So I think that's always something that's kind of good when you, you feel like you're getting like that. Um, I think it just makes you more appreciative. So don't just don't get too caught up in it. Try to focus more on the other side of it and enjoy those moments but that's a nice thing that you said. But so, yeah, my number one is just life's a bitch. <laughs> life's a bitch and too short, that's for sure. So what do you have too for short. your number one? Well, my number one is is just more questions now that, you know, coming out of episode two, we talked about one already is who is that dark-headed cute guy in Shirley's funeral parlor? I'm not going to stop thinking about <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to keep seeing this guy waving scotch at me. Um, <clears throat> well, I did super check cute, IMDb. But- he will be back for four episodes. And his name's Ryan. So we have three more episodes with your, oh. with your uh, mystery alert. ghost Ryan. 
Well, I'm okay with that. I'll say that. Like I said, I don't have any problem at all with James Lafferty uh, taking up some time on my screen. <laughs> so who is this guy and why is Shirley having visions of him? So I guess hopefully we'll get some answers to that as to who he is. Why is he relevant enough to her that she's seeing him? What is up with the separate checkbook her husband Kevin has? Yeah, Shirley's saw, husband yeah. Kevin. That's never good, right? Something. Yeah. Something's going on. Secrets do not make friends. Lies and deception don't mix in um, a relationship. So I, I don't think that's going to be. Um, and and what a what a shitty time. I mean, it's never a good time. But like her sister just died. She just like embalmed her sister. And I mean, not only was she. What did she tell Stephen? Elbow deep in her sister's chest cavity. Yeah. But she was also like. I had to like peel her 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 yeah. scalp back on her head and was like sewing that back. I mean, you forget, you know, all the all the things that have to happen when someone is autopsied and then are going to the funeral home to be prepared to to be shown to the family. And to think that she's doing that for her own sister is just amazing. But anyway, a rotten rotten time with everything that she's going through now. All of a sudden, she's got this. Um, and then what's up with Liv's migraines? So Yes, I've got that written down. She called them, what, seeing colors? Yeah, she said, she said, well, she said it was like fireworks, but black. Color storms. They called them okay, color storms. Yeah. So it's, it seems like she's not a stranger to migraines, but this one sounded a lot different. And why did it all of a sudden come up when she's, you know, kind of having this moment with, with Shirley? Cause Shirley was getting aggravated and not taking know this whole situation well with the kittens and then all of a sudden Liv has this you know migraine that's very unfamiliar to her so just just some questions I don't expect answers or anything but just some things that now I now I'm curious and I want to know what's happening so that's what I got for my number one good number one do you have any notes uh so I got a couple notes um we're introduced to this episode with Shirley jumping out of bed saying Nellie's in the red room at 303 which was creepy um her husband, when he asks uh, about taking the jewelry downstairs, she says, yeah, can you take it downstairs? And he uh, says that he hates going downstairs, which, you know, like Dude, he, talk, he talks about, he's like, you run the, the funeral stuff, I do the books, which I feel like if you're getting in the business of funerals, you got to get over that probably. Yeah, I feel like you, that's necessary. He he may not have to do the actual work, but you 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 – you better button up there, buddy, is all yeah. I'm going to say. <laughs> um, and the last one was, so when uh, Theo and uh, Shirley were in their room when all this stuff was happening, mm-hmm. same thing like we talked about in the last episode, um, or the lady whose husband had passed away in the last episode, they were sitting there so scared looking at this thing like an idiot that they were too scared to scream. Yeah. A very similar thing. Like you know, You'd think like if somebody's pounding, you would scream. But again, you're just so... Frozen with fear, you you just look at it like, what do I do? And that's what we got to mm-hmm. get in this episode. Yes. Boy, can I relate to that. Paralyzed with fear and very similar situation that I didn't like. Good notes. Um, okay, so a couple things that I have in my notes. We talked a little bit about it, but I want to kind of get your opinion, and I hope this doesn't get like too controversial or whatever, because I'm sure some people probably have some very strong opinions about it. But we talked a little bit about uh, Shirley having this conversation with this little boy about viewing um, Mm. his grandmother in the open casket. So I just, 
I got a really bad feeling about that, that not only the parents and the parents have completely just thrown their hands up. They're like, we can't get him to do it. So here you do it. So Shirley's trying to talk this little boy um, into staring at his grandmother. And I'm thinking, why would you do that? I don't think adult or child, you should make anybody, if they do not want to go view someone in an open casket, that they should be forced to. Like, you should shame someone into doing it, or you should, you know, make someone do it. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm in the same boat. It's it's a situation where I think a lot of people are like, well, I mean, you see them one last time, you see them as they are, as, as we remember them, and mm-hmm. it helps you get over that. But I know, like, when I was younger, my, my parents were pretty young when they had me, like, in their early 20s. So, you know, when I became like five, six, like they had a lot of aunts and uncles that, you know, were starting to pass away just because they're older and like mm-hmm. when I was younger at the, the, the time. So, you know, there's, you know, it seemed like for a bit between the age of five and 10, where it felt like we went to a, a visitation like every three months. Yeah. And, you know, as a kid, I'm walking through these things and I don't really know the person, but I'm going through this very somber, very, you know, emotional thing and then seeing, a, you know, somebody who's passed away. And I, you know, I've already talked to my wife. Is like I don't, I don't want to take my son to those things just because I know it, it never really sat well with me as I got older, and especially made me feel very uncomfortable there. That mm-hmm. only if it was a specific like close person at this age, anyway, I'd want to take him. And even then, if he's like, I don't want to go up to the casket, like I can't go up to the casket. You know, I'd want to still give them the opportunity because it could just be a scary situation. But I would never want to force them into doing that or guilt them into doing it be like well you know you just have to do it because i say so or you know it'll make you feel better if you do it it's like okay let's talk about it let's walk through it if you don't want to that's fine you know i just want to make sure you understand this is the very last time you'll ever get to see them um Mm -hmm. and and it may be that's like i don't want to that's not how i want to remember them that's not the last thing i want to remember is them in a box like i want to remember them you know the time i saw them before they passed away um which has kind of been my thoughts on a lot of a lot of those things, like I just I would much rather remember them as they were than you know being in the in the casket, I guess, which may be more selfish for me, but um well, but funerals are for it, it, funerals are for the living, not for the dead, yeah, you know, I mean, and so they are kind of selfish for us because we want to be able to say goodbye, which I think is important. I'm not saying, I don't mean that to say it's not important that people, you know, have those opportunities to say goodbye because I'm certainly appreciative of, you know, if I haven't gotten to see someone in a while or, you know, a relative or someone that that I knew that you want to, you know, have that last opportunity to say goodbye, whether or not you actually go up to the casket or not, if you're just there, maybe sitting in the back or something, you know, um, and you can still, I feel like, say goodbye without having to be up in front of the casket. But I don't know. It just didn't really sit well with me. I was like, here's this little boy who is very vehemently against it. He mm-hmm. he he repeats it over and over again. He's like, you know, I, I still see her. She sits on my bed. She has no teeth. She has no hair. I don't want to see her like that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's like... And I get where she's coming from because she's like, well, I'm going to fix her. She's not going to look like that. She's going to look like how you remember her. And she's, I get where she's saying because I know she saw her own mother. You know, she was scared to see her own mom in the casket. And I think that's what she's relating to the little boy. And I think she was afraid to see her own mom in the casket, knowing how, which we don't exactly know how the circumstances of what happened to live. We know that she killed herself, but we don't really know exactly what happened or the the condition or anything that she was in. So I think she was afraid to go see her mother in the casket thinking she was going to look that way. Yeah. I feel like Shirley probably saw her mom in a state that 
was probably what she thought she'd see when she went to the casket. Because yeah. I know whenever we see Steve run out of the room, and I know you see the person running around the corner, I think that was Ugh. their mom. God damn I rewatched it, yes. it again now. And like you saw her running. It looked like she was dancing to an extent a lot. Because like, I rewatched I think it she again. Was, I think she was limping. Oh, like okay. she's. Oh, God, now it's even creepier. I know. Let's God damn it. About that. I know. Can we please stop talking about it? It's really fucking me up right now. I cannot I cannot see that anymore, that image of her running around the corner when they're running out of his room. It's fucking with me really bad right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> Yeah, so I agree. I think that she was afraid, like, maybe she did see her, uh, what happened to her mother after, and she was afraid that that was what she would look like because she hadn't. I guess experienced death. They're talking about that the kittens were her first brush with death. Yeah. So now this is again maybe her next experience with death, and that's what she thinks is going to happen. She's like, I'm going to see my mom as she was. She's all messed up. She's dead. She's contorted, or whatever happened to her. Um, and so she she's probably just trying to relate that to the little boy. So I kind of appreciate what she was trying to do because she did. You know, it was making sense. Like, well, I'm going to take those pic- those bad pictures that you have in your head, and I'm going to replace them with this good picture of her, um, of how you remember her with her hair and with her teeth, and she's going to look just like you remember her. But I still thought, you know what? I think after you talk to some to a child or even any adult, it, they don't have to be a child. But, um, you know, when you talk to someone and try to talk to them about their feelings about it, and if they still say no, you're like, okay, and you got to respect that. Because yeah. I feel like I haven't had that experience, but I feel like I've talked to people who have that, whose parents, maybe is when they were children or even as an adult, their family shamed them into mm. not wanting to go up and see their family member or whomever it was. And they didn't like it. They they regretted doing it. They didn't want to do it. And I thought, it's just not right. Look. Let them make their own decision. So I don't know. Like I said that hopefully not too controversial, but that's just my opinion on on that. Um, so we get that little speech that Liv gives to Shirley when the the little kitten died, and they're out in the garden and they're getting ready to bury the kitten. Um, Shirley said, or uh, sorry, Liv says it's called a eulogy, and Shirley says, "Well, what do I say?" She says, "It's up to you. Some people say goodbye, or you could tell a story." And she says, well, what kind of story? Uh, Liv says, whatever you like. You know how when you take one of your pictures, you capture something forever just the way it is? Stories do that too. So when things, when we die, we turn into stories. And every time someone tells one of those stories, it's like we're still here for them. We're all stories in the end. I'll admit I'm not, um, I did not know exactly where this came from, but I read it online. So thank you folks online. Uh, do you have any idea where that speech or what that is a homage to uh-uh. that particular speech? It's from Dr. Who. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. There's a, it's not the entire speech, but there's a lot of it where, um, oh, and I should have written it down. I took the quote from haunting of Hill house. I didn't take it from Dr. Who, but it, I think he says we're all stories in the end. And I think it was, and I don't know the episode because I don't, well, I'm sorry. I don't watch Dr. Who. I'm a fan. I think it's great. But, and I think it was when David Tennant was, um, Dr. Who was when this was said. So all of you Whovians out there, I believe Mike Flanagan, I was told was, um, a big Dr. Who fan. Hmm. So that's, they think that it was a homage. It wasn't official. It was just one of those, um, 
you know, kind of nicely little sprinkled things in there. Um, and then my last little part, because I'm snarky, um, not only were like all of these scenes, there were some super scary scenes that uh, scared the shit out of me, but one of the scariest parts of the episodes was finding out that treatment or that rehab center, $6,000 a month. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> but you get horses. There's horses. Did I tell you that horses. you could ride horses here? <laughs> Poor Nell. She was just like not dealing well with, with that at all, was she? <laughs> It's like, what the fuck? I'm clean. I don't get to ride horses. No kidding. Anyway, um, oh, one more thing. Uh, It's not really notes. We're going to play a little game real quick because I'm a big sucker for um, a game of Would You Rather. Okay. So listeners, feel free to uh, play along. And if you're, um, if everybody's really nice, I'll post a few online and we can have some fun with it on our social media pages. So, Sean, would you rather be dead forever or be dead and come back as a Hill House ghost. Oh. <laughs> I'll probably give you a better answer in eight episodes, but I probably have to say dead forever because okay. I don't think the ghost in Hill House are very happy ghosts. They don't seem to be, do they? So Although if, I, if, like they're, if they can't hurt me and I could just do like language or bromance jokes all the time, like that'd be mm-hmm. worth it. I just annoy uh, them. Right. <clears throat> So, would you spend a week living in Hill House for $5,000? A week? Yeah, a week living in Hill House. Not for, for five 5, grand. That's not, not for uh, five grand. Yeah. Not enough. What would it take? Um, for a week, uh, maybe 50 grand, 50 or 60 50 grand. grand. Okay, cool. Um, would you rather have the ability to feel Hill House's ghosts at all times or see Hill House's ghosts? At all times. Oh, shoot. <laughs> Probably see, because I think if you feel them, like you get like a random chill, you'd be like, oh, shit, something's trying to sneak up behind me. Like, no, dude, we're, we're in the living room. Leave us alone. Yeah. And maybe you can process it better if you can see it. Yeah. Like if you can see it, you can deal with it and process it better, maybe. Okay. Would you, and I don't know if you watch this show, but. We're going to throw it out there anyway. Would you rather be trapped in Hill House or the American Horror Story Murder House? I didn't see the Murder House one. So good. Go Um, watch it. I'm going to go with the Murder House one, though. Okay. I saw trailers and stuff for it, but I feel like this, I feel like Hill House is a lot darker. Mm. I could be wrong. Please go watch Murder House, FYI. Okay. Would you rather steal something valuable from a sibling or find out a sibling has stolen something valuable from you? Uh, found out that a sibling stole something valuable from me. Okay. Okay. Last one. Would you rather be in the family from Hereditary or the family from The Haunting of Hill House? Oh. <laughs> Probably the family from Hill House. Let's go with that one. I'm going to go with that one, too. That family in uh, Hereditary. Ah! Talk about terrible. Okay, that that's my little fun. I'm, I'm a sucker for a Would You Rather game, and I saw that and just had to, um, thought that'd be fun to play. Did you find that's those or make those up? I did not make them up. I won't take credit. I was uh, playing around, uh, looking up some stuff for Hill House and came across that nice. and thought, oh, that's fun. I don't remember the source uh, where I found them, but I will not uh, claim them as my own. So... Okay, so that well, that was fun. Super awesome top five and notes. Um, this show 
certainly got us both kind of twisted here, doesn't it? So um, let's hope that we don't need some serious therapy oh, know, or that right? we're not going to experience the same kind of trauma. We're going to have to find <laughs> like a comedy to do for our next series. I know. This, I was all up for some scary shit and I did not have any idea what I was getting into at all. Um, this, this one's fucking me up a little bit. Um, Okay, so this week for news, I'm instead going to do our um, another edition of The Hidden Ghosts in Episode 2. So people seem to be having a lot of fun with this one, and I want to hear if you spotted these as well, because um, now I'm going to start getting chills. Um, okay, so the kid in the garden. So we soon learn that Luke sees a child playing on the grounds of Hill House on a regular basis, but it appears that the same child may be watching Shirley and Olivia as mom tells her daughter about the dream house. If you look in the garden to the right of the statue, someone is watching. And then actually more than one ooh, someone. Ooh. <sighs> Go back and watch. Y'all tell me if you see it. Okay. Also the one in the kitchen in this same scene, so this is the whole time when um, Olivia and Shirley are having their conversation and they're talking about the forever home and so on, and the and the scenes are cutting. So in the same scene, when Mike Flanagan, he cuts to a reverse shot of Olivia talking to Shirley, there's a figure in the kitchen behind her that's not quite right. And not just that, but the damn ghost keeps moving around it's doing the fucking cha-cha slide oh my god i'm getting fucking goosebumps right now i'm not even shitting you right now so it was standing behind into the left of the table then it's seated at the left side of the table and then it stands on the right behind the table i shit you not go look at it now that one i kind of caught something weird happening in the background i didn't see the the one in the garden though Oh, yeah. You, yeah. You see that one uh, behind Shirley. It's kind of looking through the window. But yeah, that one in that dining room when um, it cuts to Shirley or to Olivia in those wide shots, that fucked me up. He should fuck with people and be like, no, we didn't we didn't put any Easter egg ghost in this. What are you talking about? That's just a, a, a one of those gaff fellas who got in the way of the show. Yeah. Well, that's what's going to happen is there's going to be a shot like that where just like, you know, the the boom mic guy kind of got too far into the shot or somebody's reflection got caught and like, oh, there's a ghost. Like, no, that's just Steve. Somebody was setting up for the next shot in the next scene and got caught in the background. Yeah. Hey, look, that, that ghost is eating Subway. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't care. It's still creepy as fuck. <laughs> Okay, well, that takes us now to messages uh, from the room, which is beyond the red door. Um, Sean, why don't you take this first one? All right, our first one comes from Chuck DeFore. So, okay, so rewatch the first two episodes tonight. Thanks for this post to get me back in the show again. It's been a couple weeks at least. Those cats are really creepy. This was a really good look at Shirley. So a couple thoughts. What's up with the dogs? Was Nell and Steve's apartment like one of the last living cats? Hmm, treehouse. That's weird. Mm. Treehouse, that was from the first episode, wasn't it? Yeah, that was from the first episode. Yeah, the treehouse yeah. was kind of odd. It was a really good treehouse. Oh, yeah. It's like the yeah. best treehouse I think I've ever seen in my life. Especially for being an old house, too. Like, somebody must have put some effort into that. Yeah. <clears throat> Maureen Favo says, I think this episode has the most jump scares, plus those kittens. Ugh. But loved the wasp nest. Yeah, we didn't talk too much about that, did we? That that was creepy. Um, also, young Hugh was such a dad here. This episode set on the foundation of the characters and what they changed into by end. Look forward to your discussion. 
Des Combs, because of you guys, I'm doing my third rewatch of this series <laughs> that only came out a little over a month ago. I think this episode creeps me out more than any of the others. The kitten coming back to life got me good. I love the whole format of the series. As it progresses, we see the same events through the different characters' eyes, causing us to question whose view is reality and who is ignoring the truth. Shirley really solidifies herself as the caretaker of the family in this episode. She inherits her father's favorite line, I'll fix this. Mm. Yeah, because he's like the kind of, I don't know that he's a contractor, but he's basically the one that does all the repairs. Yeah, he's like a handyman. Yeah, he at least fixes things. And, and yeah, that's right. Good pick up there, Des. Thanks for that. <clears throat> Laura Willie Swink says, is this a thing to force, um, she says, okay, maybe aggressively coerce young children into having to look at the corpse of their de- deceased grandmother, especially when they are already experiencing some trauma over it? Is it really a funeral director's job to psychologically manipulate this poor boy to say goodbye to his grandmother when she is clearly making nightly visits to him? Just let the kid sit in the pews and say his farewells from afar. I never understood the ritual of seeing your loved ones made up like a mannequin. In fact, I had to read an essay on the embalming process in college and decided then and there to have a burial at sea. Dump me undisturbed into the ocean and let the fishies take me. In all honesty, though, I love the series. Yes, I've watched all of the episodes, but will rewatch for the podcast. Oh, thanks, Laura. So many episodes, including this one, my eyes end up full of tears. And I don't know if it's from fear or from sadness or from both or from one that quickly turns into another. Oh, that's nice, Laura. And I, I agree with you about um, a lot of what you said about the funeral thing. I like it. I'm going to be cremated. I don't know about the burial at sea, but I want to be, be stuffed in like a you pose. Be stuffed. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what kind of pose? Tell me. <laughs> like probably like the Captain Morgan man. <laughs> Get always, a little captain in you. <laughs> yeah. We always joke like if like animal, like if there's an animal that comes superior to us and they hunt us, like they mount us and like we're just standing there naked with our junk hanging out. All right. That's how I want to go. <laughs> That that's original. I'll give you that. <clears throat> okay. uh, Cr- Christina Wiggins. So Rima, I absolutely love this episode. It was creepy and scared the hell out of me. I would do a rewatch as you guys put out the episodes. This show is scary and beautiful at the same time. I love the fact that they don't scare you just to scare you. I agree yeah, with that. Me too. Yeah, I like it. Lindsay Schlick says, as an animal lover, this was a hard episode for me. As soon as I saw the kittens, I knew it wouldn't be good. Pets never fare well in scary movies. The beetle part was especially sad. I thought the kitten was alive too. Having the same thing happen to Nellie's body when Shirley was working on it was even worse than the kitten. Love the little flicker of the porch light on the dream house at the very end. Can't wait to see where this all ends up. Loving the podcast. All of my friends are big weenies, so I have no one to discuss this show with. The podcast helps so much. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome, Lindsay. You, we're not weenies. Well, no. I'm kind of a weenie. Well, we're... We have gonna, to give our we have to give ourselves credit. We're watching this show at night. Like I said, I'm watching yes. it with earbuds in, and we're podcasting it late at night too. So yes, we yes we are late at night here. I do watch the show at night, and not only do we watch it once, I watch it twice. Mm. I know you do too most times. Um, so we can really you know get the full effect of it and take good notes. So uh, we're braving it for you, folks. See what we do for our <laughs> listeners. We really love you guys. We're we're torturing ourselves. We must be masochists. Anyway, thanks, Lindsay, for that that feedback. That was great. So we got a couple emails. So this one says, Rima and Sean, thanks so much for this recommendation. Really enjoyed the first two episodes. Two things. 
First, not sure if you caught the E.T. lunchbox in episode one, a nod to Henry Thomas. Also, it makes me think that the past took place in the early to mid-80s. Second, as a cat lover, it was sad to see the kittens wither away. I watched the end of the episode before I planned to go to bed. (laughs) After Olivia sat up on the gurney with the box in her hands, forget it. I went from sad to screaming and didn't go to bed for another couple hours. This series is scaring the shit out of me like no other has in a long time. (laughs) Thanks for suggesting my new favorite show and for keeping me up at night. Carrie Ables. You're so welcome, Carrie. (laughs) No, I did not catch the E.T. lunchbox. I didn't see the E.T. lunchbox. I saw, like I said in the first episode, I saw the Ninja Turtle pillowcase, Uh which that show came out in like 88. So this has to be between like, if if that's, you know, actually fallen timeline, this would be between like 88 and probably like 90, 91. Uh huh. That makes sense. I would buy that. I love all of that. You're so welcome, Carrie. Thanks for hanging in there with us. So next email we have says, hi, guys. Random thoughts. I'm so in love with the show. The sets, the cinematography, the story and the actors are beautiful, chilling and heartbreaking all at once. The casting was perfect for each character, especially the transition from young to older. I never realized how much Henry Thomas and Timothy Hutton looked alike. The book is wonderful, and although the story is different from the show, there are scenes from the book that have been done done here. The wonderful scary scene with Theo and Shirley in the bed while the banging on the walls is happening is one of them. The Shirley episode did the same as Stevens, showing what led them to be the adults they are. Seemingly having it all on the surface, but anger and resentment and fear just beneath. The kitten experience in her fear at her mom's funeral, leading her to be a mortician, makes total sense. Love the hidden ghosts in each episode. Thank you again for doing this podcast. You guys rock. Jenny. Thanks, Jenny. That was really nice to say. Oh, you guys. You make me cry. The show makes me cry. I love it. Okay. We also have a voicemail from our good friend. Steve Brown. Hi, Sean and Rima. Uh, this is Steve, and uh, this episode of Haunting the Hill House, uh, uh, Open Casket, was uh, it was it was tough uh, for me because um, because my sister uh, passed away last year, and uh, the oh. anniversary just came up uh, a few weeks ago or a couple weeks ago, and so it just it really affected me. A lot this episode did. Uh, the second time, I, the first time, it, I don't know why. The first time I watched it, it it didn't occur to me. But this time, I really it, it hit me, and uh, uh, I didn't see any of the hidden ghosts. So I'm I'm anxious to hear what you guys uh, saw, and if you you caught the hidden ghosts or not in this one. And uh, I look forward to the rest of the series because a lot of things that were established in this episode are, are going to come to fruition later on. Uh, so, uh, thanks again. Thanks, Steve. Nice. Yeah. Thanks Sorry for to hear sharing. about your sister. That's yeah. Uh, I kind of went off on the tangent there too about just kind of how the the just yeah life's a bitch. I, it uh, is. Yeah, I'm so sorry to hear that. That's terrible. I think we can all probably relate. I'm sure that probably triggered a lot of people. You know, um, whether it was from a long time ago or something kind of recent that this particular episode can trigger a lot. So, but thank you for sharing. We appreciate that. Thank you everyone for sharing such tremendous feedback. I love hearing what you guys have to say. I love hearing that you guys are as scared shitless as what we are watching this show. So we don't feel so alone. So thanks everyone for taking the time. I love it. Yeah. Thanks everybody. 
All right, so next week we'll be covering the third episode from The Haunting of Hill House titled Touch. So the description for this episode is, Keenly perceptive Theo sees shades of herself in a troubled young patient, a girl who's haunted by the menacing grin of Mr. Smiley. Ugh, that can't be good. Ugh. Anything called Mr. Smiley. Um, <laughs> um, well, we're really excited for you to join our paranormal investigation. For updates from Hill House, you can follow us on Twitter at StrangeTCast. You can like us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash StrangerTCast. You can check us out on Instagram at Strange underscore Indeed underscore Pod. You can email us at StrangerThingsCastPod at gmail.com, and you can also find us on the TV Time app. You can find Strange Indeed and a bunch of other great podcasts at Podcastica.com. Go out and leave a review for Strange Indeed and any of the other great Podcastica podcasts on Apple Podcast. Lots of great podcasts on Podcastica, <coughs> and not only that, but make sure to check out Sean in his outstanding podcast, The Language of Bromance, that comes out every Sunday. Boom, and we'll be live in Chicago, the language of bromance that is, on November 27th, so about two weeks away at the Beat Kitchen. Uh, 12 bucks for tickets, so if you're going to be in the area and want to say hi, check it out. That's amazing. That is so exciting. I want to hear all about it. Is there going to be video? Can I uh, uh, video this thing? I don't know if there'll be. I bet my wife will probably take some videos of it. I'll okay, talk cool. her because I think she might be going. But Let her, it will, have her get a couple snippets I want to see. We'll do. Because I can't be there live, um, unfortunately, to support support my bro um, <laughs> in that. And I'm so excited for both of you guys so much. So, yeah, please ask her just to get a little snippet. I would love to see that. And I would love to, if it's okay, we'll share it on social media too. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. All right. Well, that's our show. Episode 63, Open Casket. Until next time, I'm Rima. And I'm Sean. And Christina Wiggins is strange indeed.